Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully you guys are spending time with your family and friends uh, watching tennis along the way, and hopefully you guys will enjoy your weekend as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into uh, outside of the tennis world. For news outside of the tennis world, we can get into MGK's Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox's GQ interview and photo shoot, and uh, my overall thoughts and opinions on it. That was pretty funny, not going to lie. We can get into George Clooney saying Biden's approval ratings is because of Trump. Um, We can also discuss John Gruden's emails, as well as J.P. Morgan Chase's CEO, Jamie Dimon, saying Bitcoin is worthless. But where we'll get off for today and where we'll start off for today will be Andy Murray's match against Sasha Zverev. So if you guys didn't watch, Andy Murray played Sasha Zverev yesterday, um, and it was basically a really good match. Um, Sasha Zverev beat Andy Murray 6-4-7-6-7-7. 7-4 was the tie-breaking set. And overall, it was a very enjoyable match, a very interesting match, part of it because of the golf cart ride there. So it, it was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen, and, and probably this year of, of tennis, right? It was one of the weirdest things ever, where both Sasha Zverev and Andy Murray were in this golf cart sort of concoction of a ride, and they were dri- driving to the arena, and... There was no conversation between between the two of them. It was, it's something that you got to see to believe. And it's probably on the Reddit. It's probably on Twitter. Go check it out because it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. None of them, they were not talking to one another. They were looking in their uh, separate ways. And I think it's probably because of the fact that Annie Murray has discussed and has been vocal about the ATP doing something about Sasha Zverev's domestic abuse allegations. And, you know, just him being supportive of, the of the person that he sort of hurt or alleged to be hurting so i think uh that's probably one of the reasons as to why andy murray and sasha zvera were not really uh communicative with one another is because of that instance and uh yeah it was definitely a weird sight to see uh from both of those players but overall uh zverev and andy murray decided to play they were playing in the round of 16 i would say i'm pretty sure it was round of 16 match and overall, I would say Sasha Zverev had a lot of good shots in this match. And overall, he did win because of those good shots. Part of it was because of that th- uh, was in that set 3-1, uh, where Zverev had multiple passing shots. And as a result, she- he was just able to get the better hand, upper hand, on uh, Andy Murray. And that was sort of when momentum shifted toward Sasha Zverev's side. From that, from that point on, it was mostly Sasha Zverev. Even though the second set... Uh, was a tiebreaker. It definitely felt like Sasha Zverev was going to win the match uh, and sort of be able to progress further and further down the Indian Wells tournament. So that's one of the reasons as to what allowed Zverev to really uh, win over Andy Murray was the fact that he was a little bit more agile around the court and drained Murray's energy levels by the second set where he just couldn't really respond accordingly. And you know, like I remember saying my past previous podcast episode, go check it out, Indian Wells Matches, episode 80. Can't believe I've done 80 episodes of this. But uh, I remember in that episode, I said I that I think Andy Murray could go to the quarter or semifinal round. Um, I did not know he would face Sasha Zverev. And more importantly, I did not know he was unranked. Uh, so that changed the entire outlook. When I found out that he was playing Sasha Zverev, I'm like, oh, no, this is going to age like milk. Um, and it did. Uh, <laughs> Sasha Zverev was able to beat Andy Murray, and again, it's part of the part of it, part of it was because of nice passing shots and being more agile around the court. And I think the shot that really summed up uh, the match the most was the final point in the match where both of them were at the net and they were hitting volleys back to one another. And Andy Murray had this good read, a good look uh, to the deuce side of the court where he wanted to put the ball in. But it was just out of line. And as a result, uh, Sasha Zero was able to beat him in the tiebreaker as Andy Murray uh, slams his racket down in frustration. I thought that point really summed up the match uh, in its entirety because of just how close Andy Murray was in this match. But at the same time, he didn't get the cigar. You know, it was close, but no cigar for Andy Murray. And, um, you know, now Sasha Zero has now progressed. And congrats to Sasha Zero on the win. I've. 
if I was Andy Murray in this match, I would be like, you know what? I did my best, um, and I think that's good enough. So Andy Murray, even though he did lose, I don't think he should really take... I don't think he should really view this that harsh. Obviously, it is Andy Murray. He is an accomplished person. So, you know, he, he may have that outlook. But overall, I think it's it's one of those instances where... I, I understand where, where he's somewhat coming from. And hopefully he can just come back and, and play better. And I think that's something that a lot of people have as well. So Andy Murray lost to Sasha Zverev. Or Sasha Zverev beat Andy Murray 6-4-7-6. And uh, as a result... Uh, I'm just excited to see what's to come for the BMP Paribas Open, not only in terms of the men's side, but also on the women's side, uh, and just the future for any Murray um, and for Sasha, Sasha Zverev. I mean, again, I don't want to say, I want to say this, Sasha Zverev is no joke. Again, like he won the Cincinnati Open, he reached the semifinal of the US Open, so he's been doing very well this at this stage of his year. And it's only going to keep getting better for Andy Murray. So I think uh, for Sasha Zverev. So I think for Andy Murray, he shouldn't take this so harshly. I really don't. I think he should take this in stride and just play better and, and do better. And I think if he's able to stick to that, then I think the ball is in his court. And I think only good things will happen for Andy Murray. So, yeah, uh, that's just my overall thoughts and opinions on the match. Um you know, it's, it's it's cool. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm just so um, I'm I'm realistic about Andy Murray now. You know, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. But I think uh, we got to be realistic. You know, for not only for Murray but for other stars around the tennis circuit. You know, whether it's uh, Nick Kyrgios. Um, I would even include Bianca Andreescu in that conversation. I mean, she's had a lot of injuries. Um, you know, there's certain stars where I'm like, okay, like I hopefully they didn't, they aren't past their prime. You know, hopefully that's not the case whatsoever because that would stink for that to happen. Um, you know, for me, like I value um, good competition and I want people to succeed and thrive and do well and and get their comeuppance and get their credit more importantly and i just don't want to see that happen you know and in terms of like you know in, in terms of in terms of my favorite players or players that i really enjoy i don't want to see them in this predicament because it really stinks you know i mean and when you see uh people from athletes from other sports you know sort of play in their twilight of their careers it, it really does sting a bit you know and i just don't want to see that happen uh, for Andy Murray, I don't want to see that to happen for any player. Uh, so hopefully he can still be in contention for these tournaments. Because if not, then um, you know I, I think it's completely fine for Andy Murray to retire. You know, I mean it's completely fine for him to uh, take a step back and, and to really think and reflect about uh, what he wants to do in his life and what he wants to accomplish. So again, you know, even though Sasha Zverev uh, did beat Andy Murray. Um, I don't think this is the end for Andy Murray. I don't. I think he's going to come back. Maybe it's the Paris tournament. Maybe it's the Rolex Masters. I don't know. Uh, I think that's the tournament that's happening in October or November, the Paris Rolex Masters. So hopefully uh, he can come back and uh, do well. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's just overall my thoughts and opinions on all of that. Um, I, th I think... With Andy Murray, and this is something that I realized is that, you know, about just tennis players in general, is that you can never count them out at all. Like, regardless of your opinions on Andy Murray, just people in in the tennis world in general, just tennis players in general, you can't count them out. I mean, I remember that Oslan Karatsev match they had with Novak Djokovic uh, in the Serbia Open. I mean, that was one of the craziest matches of the year. And now Oslan Karatsev has had a pretty mediocre year i would say since then but man oh man he was lights out that month you know and people were really questioning as to whether or not he could really win a major this year i mean that was the debate and discussion circling around aslan karatsev and you know i mean i think Andy murray is one of those players where you, you can't ever count him out you know he's one of those players that you know can can really thrive and do well and and has shown that he's able to 
bring the best out of his serves, out of his passing shots and lobs and his, and his baseline play. He's one of those individuals that you can't count out whatsoever. And I think this was one of those matches where even though he, he was bound to lose and, and he was playing a better player um, at a better time in, in Zarev's uh, life, uh, if this was a younger Andy Murray, best believe this would have gone three sets and it would have went Andy Murray's way. I mean, if if we're talking about five years ago, Andy Murray, 2016, 2017, Andy Murray, um, I mean, I, I think he would have won easily, single-handedly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's one of those things where I'm just, you know, you, you got to really think about it in the long term, you know, and, and I'm excited to see not only for Andy Murray, but just for tennis players in general to see what they do and how they're able to respond to the pressure and to the uh, uncertainty that uh, faces them uh, in their run for success uh, in these tournaments. So yeah, uh, that's just my overall opinion on all that. Um, Stinks to see it, but no worries. He just played the better man. So, all right. I think that's it for tennis topics for today. I'll probably be recapping the Indian Wells final on Sunday. Um, usually I go to open mics on Sunday. Um, but uh, for this for this moment, I'll just recap the final instead. Uh, on Sunday, I usually go to Watertown, Donahue's Watertown. Uh, they usually have open mics there. And if you guys, if anybody wants to go to Donahue's Watertown uh, Sunday at around like 7 o'clock, uh, if you guys want to watch some good comedy, go check out Donnie Hughes in Watertown. You will not be mistaken. Go check him out. Um, there are some other open mics that I, I could list out, but uh, for now, go to Donnie Hughes because it is a it is the most conducive for people to listen to comedy. I truly believe that. Go check out Donnie Hughes in Watertown. Uh, good open mic. If you got if you guys want to see me perform stand up, uh, I've been bombing for the past few few times. Uh, so it would be nice to see some audience members, uh, because it's, the mics are dead all like everywhere. So if you, if you're in the Boston area and if you want to check out a good open mic, go to Don Hughes on Sunday at 7 PM, uh, starts at seven. So make sure you get there early, but yeah, uh, let's move into the next bit of discussion, shall we? Uh, now that we got the awkwardness out of the way, uh, with me shelling out an open mic, um, JP Morgan Chase CEO, Jamie Dimon says Bitcoin is worthless. So I got this from CNBC. Uh, let me pull it up right now, right here. Okay, I personally think that Bitcoin is worthless. Dimon said during an Institute of International Finance event on Monday, CNBC probe reported. But I don't want to be a spokesperson. I don't care. It makes no difference to me. He said, our clients are adults. They disagree. That's what makes markets. So if they want to have access to buy or sell Bitcoin, we can't custody it, but we can give them legitimate, as clean as possible access. All right, so this is just my immediate thoughts on this. If the mo- if one of the most corrupt institutions who has done more to disenfranchise working class people actively condones a type of currency, then chances are that currency is a threat to them. And listen, I'm not the biggest Bitcoin guy. Listen, I invested in I invested in crypto uh, in December of 2017 when it was first starting out. I bought Ethereum. I bought two Ethereum, 750 each. I kept it in my Coinbase account for like two, three years. Sold it January of 2021 for $2,000. Made a $500 profit. I'm I'm pretty bad when it comes to crypto. I'm not gonna lie. Even though I made a profit out of my sale, I thought to myself that it was dumb, idiotic of me to do. I should have kept my Ethereum. I've I've lost so much money if I just kept my Ethereum in the account uh, for like three four months. I would easily made like like 150 percent profit. I would have easily made over like three grand over it. But I'm such a dumb like investment kind of dude because I'm bad with forecasting trends. Having said all that, even though I have my gripes with uh, crypto, even though I'm salty that I didn't make enough money from crypto, I can easily say that even though Bitcoin does seem a little bit sketchy, I will be honest with you because it is very volatile. And I I do believe that there is some sort of FBI sort of NSA interference with it. And I don't think it's as um, 
as legit as it may sound on paper when it when it's not essentially a currency uh, tied to that of U.S. dollar. Uh, I do believe that Bitcoin does have the ability, and crypto in general does have the ability to be the most important currency in not only American standards but just in the world standard in general. You know, I think this idea, this antiquated idea that all of our currency should be backed by the Federal Reserve and should be backed by nothing, essentially, and because, you know, Richard Nixon did uh, pull back the currency, the gold currency, the gold standard in 73. It's one of those things where I myself realized that, you know, this is what happens when you have a federal government that is prone to be printing out money on an impulse. And it is... That is a product of a government that is so inept with it, with its money that it eventually hands itself off to the banks and to these interests so that they can keep screwing over the working class. You know, when you see inflation go up, it's mainly because of what happened in 2020 with the COVID bill and, you know, with, you know, all of the senators voting 96 to zero to bail out Wall Street and big banks. You know, that's what happens when you see you know, inflation happen. You know, that's what happens when inflation occurs is you essentially see that it eventually goes to the top 1% and it goes to the big banks and the corporations and it leaves nothing, if not anything, for working class people. So I do think that inflation does matter and does have value to it. And when I say value, I mean a negative value to it. You know, so when I hear JP Morgan Chase CEO, Jamie Dimon, going after Bitcoin, it's like, do you not know like how successful you have been based off this antiquated idea of printed money? So obviously you're going to go after Bitcoin because you you don't have control over it. You know, like Jamie Dimon, like JP Morgan has very little control over that of Bitcoin. I mean, when they see other banks, like not other banks, but when they see other individuals make a profit out of it, I mean, that shakes them to their core. You know, that shakes them in their idea of what America can be and, and the future of what currency can be. So I think the fact that they're scared of Bitcoin, I think that's good for individuals that sort of want to stick it to the system. You know, I mean, again, I still have my reservations with Bitcoin because, again, like, you know, one day it can go up thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 and you have people, you know, pay money into it and buy into it and, and trade stock, not trade, but trade currency for it. And then on the other day, like on the other day, you'll see Elon Musk sort of rebuke Bitcoin or whatnot or see some influential investor rebuke it. And then all of a sudden it dips. And all of these people that certainly that suddenly were interested in Bitcoin and interested in, in buying the market have to sort of take out their 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 losses. And it's it's I, there's a dark side to crypto. Don't get me wrong. Um, but overall, I'm happy to see people make as much money as they can through crypto. And I'm happy to see working class people stick it to the system and stick it to the man, uh, even though even even though Bitcoin is kind of sketch and may be loosely affiliated. Uh, again, this is all. Don't take me for my word, but maybe it could be loosely related to that of say, uh, like the FBI or, or CIA or whatnot. Like I, I think to believe that like it's fully like that Bitcoin is fully untethered from like American currency. Or from like American banks, I feel like you're living in a in a in a in a place that's filled with delusion. You know, again, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, but to think that like Bitcoin is somehow untethered and sort of sort of not you know measured or researched by the government, I feel like it's doing it's not telling the full story essentially. So, I mean, again, I'm, I'm for this. I think this is great. I mean, I mean, listen, the fact that J.P. Morgan Chase CEO is personally, like, upset and, like, offended by the idea that Bitcoin can be, uh, a, a, like, the actual premier currency, I think that should, like, really speak volumes to certain things. And, you know, I mean, in my opinion, I think this is great. You know, like, I think this is great. And, you know, maybe don't take advice from me when it comes to crypto because I sold my Ethereum when it was $1,000 and and I only made $500 profit on Ethereum, which one of the dumbest investing ideas I've ever done was invest in crypto and sell it just before it skyrocketed. One of the dumbest things I've ever done and I'll never do it again because uh, I want to go... 
like similar to that of like a casino i want to go out with a little bit of profit uh you know it's just my opinion like i don't want to i don't want to go out on a loss you know i don't want to be a loser i want to go out uh with you know i want to go out like pin manning did in super bowl 50 you know just with my with my chest held out high even though i did none of the work and brock osweiler did most of it you know i want to be like that person you know like i want to be with my chest swinging out high so in in a more reserved way i would say so yeah i mean that's just my overall opinion on jp morgan chase ceo going after bitcoin i think it's cool man i honestly do i think this gives if i'm if I'm like Pompliano or whatever his name is, Anthony Pompliano or any crypto person, I would immediately tell all my followers to buy as much Bitcoin as I possibly can. Because at this point, like the only way like crypto or certain parts of crypto get any traction if it's a meme. And this is one of the most instantly memeable things in ever. Like like this should inspire people from Occupy Wall Street to actually invest in crypto if they want to stick it to the man. Because Investing in Bitcoin, in my opinion, would do more for working class people than any protest near Wall Street that happened 10, 12 years ago. Like, it really, like, I truly believe that. Uh, not diminishing Occupy Wall Street. I believe in Occupy Wall Street. And I think they had a lot of good ideas and I actually support Occupy Wall Street. But at the same time, if you want to stick to the man, Either invest in GameStop stock back in February or March of this past year, or uh, buy Bitcoin right now. That's how you stick it to the man. Or maybe, who knows, maybe Jamie Dimon uh, invested in Bitcoin and he wants people to invest in Bitcoin so that it can help out his stock and his own portfolio. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, man. Like, it's it's weird. The, the mind games that, you know, people in, finan- in the finance world play uh it's something to really be studied and gawk at so yeah that's just my overall opinion on the jamie diamond thing uh and uh, jp morgan saying no to bitcoin all right let's get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast and probably the biggest news story in the past day not only in the sports world but just in news in general uh john gruden has been fired from the las vegas raiders because of insensitive racially and uh, sexually insensitive, insensitive remarks that he's had. Uh, let me just pull it up. This is from the New York Times. When the vaunted NFL coach John Gruden was confronted with a racist email he had it sent in, 20, in 2011 to insult the head of the players union, he said he went too far but didn't have a blade of racism in him. But league officials as part of a separate separate workplace misconduct investigation that did not directly involve him, have found that Gruden casually and frequently unleashed misogynistic and homophobic language over several years. Gruden's messages were sent to Bruce Allen, the former president of the Washington football team. In the emails, Gruden called the, Gruden called the league's commissioner, Roger Goodell, a F-slayer and a clueless anti-football pussy and said that Goodell should not have pressured Jeff Fisher, then the coach of the Rams, to draft queers, a reference to Michael Sam, a gay player, by the team in 2014. John Gruden, and this is from the Daily Mail, uh, John Gruden has apologized for using racist imagery to describe an NFL player's representative lips as the size of Michelin tires. He sent that to, uh, he described DeMora Smith, the head of the NFLPA, uh, lips, as the head of Michelin Tires. Very, very uh, uh, racist, I would say. In an email he sent in 2011, the Wall Street Journal reported on Friday, uh, and this is, and I quote, I want to say this in quotes by John Gruden, Demora Smith has lips the size of Michelin Tires. Gruden wrote in the email about National Football League Players Association's executive directors, Demora Smith, who is black. Gruden, who was working as an analyst from ESPN Monday Night Football at the time, was contrite about the offensive email, which was sent to a team executive, Bruce Allen, 10 years ago. All right, so this is my overall opinion on all this. Yes, I do believe that John Gruden's emails were a tad bit racist, and I understand why people are mad at him. I want to say that right off the bat, it's kind of racist to call a black man with a black man's lips Michelin tires. Um, yeah, it's just wrong. I mean, it's just, it's just dumb on his part. 
and you should have known better not to send that through a work email. Um, so I understand where people are coming from, and I actually agree with them when they say that the acts were a tad bit racist. And yeah, I understand. Um, but here's the thing. All right, I think we need to think about this in a very nuanced way, right? People that you know are calling John Gruden a racist for saying this and doing this, um, and, and saying that um, he he should be fired. I would say like I, people are saying that he should be fired. I feel like that's a little too extreme. But people that are saying that oh he did nothing wrong, I feel like that's an extreme as well. I think there needs to be nuance in this situation, and in my opinion. If you're going to go after John Gruden for emails that he sent 10 years ago, then you got to go after other players as well, right? Like, you got to go after the uh, Tyreek Hills, the Ray Rices, the Richard Shermans, who are accused of domestic assault, right? If you're going to go after a, a, a person for what they said, you got to go after these people for what they've done, right? Because as we all know, actions speak louder than words, Right, I think what these individuals have done is far worse than that of what John Gruden has done. And oh, by the way, like understand that. Again, this happened ten years ago. We gotta let people grow, develop, and mature. And if John Gruden sent out a tweet about this ten, eleven years ago, chances are he won't be in this shit. Yeah, no, I'm I'm being fully honest with you. Being completely honest with you. You know, I feel like if he sent out a tweet, if he if he sent that out in a tweet form ten years ago. I think you're going to have a lot of people say, hey, it's whatever, you know, he sent it out 10 years ago in a tweet, you know, everybody has old tweets that they don't like, or they revisit it and question and cringe. I know I have a certain tweets that I've sent out in the past four or five months that I look back and I'm like, what was I saying? You know, but like, at the end of the day, like, understand that, that context matters and things that occur 10, 11 years ago should be viewed in a different perspective. And I, I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, you know, but it's it, it goes, it, it, it's, it's important to at least bring up, you know, I mean, people retired the N-word six years ago. I mean, 2015, 2016 was when like people outside of the black community decided to drop the N-word. And I understand where they're coming from, you know, and honestly, I agree with that, you know, so understand that there is context to situations and certain times where I'll, there are certain times where I'll look at people and what they said and be like, oh, in, in today's time, it's like, okay, maybe that's a little too out there, a little bit too left field. But during the context of that time, I mean, there were, there was far worse being said on Twitter compared to what DeMorris, compared to what John Gruden was saying. Honestly, I mean, there's way worse that was saying, that was said on Twitter 10, 11 years ago than what John Gruden is saying now. I mean, honestly, like, 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 believe me when, when I say that, like, I mean, I think Charlemagne the God uh, tweeted out like 10, 11 years ago saying that, and I quote, this is his tweet saying that R. Kelly looks so young for his age, just goes to show that the fount of, of youth is found in teenage pussy. Like, like that's a, a tweet by Charlemagne the God 10, 11 years ago. And it's funny. Like, honestly, like it's a funny joke. And like, understand, like, it's like, you have to understand that you have to judge people based off the context of their time. And if you're going to go after John Gruden uh, for what he said 10, 11 years ago, then you got to go after NFL players for what they did in, in the past two to three years. You got it. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just as simple as that, honestly. And more importantly, I have a more important question. Aren't there NFL owners that probably have said a lot worse things than John Gruden? I know we don't want to mention that, but like, aren't there NFL owners that have said and done way worse than John Gruden? So why is John Gruden the person that people are going after, but not NFL owners who have probably are going to have a lot of emails being circulated? If they don't, then something is up and they've definitely corroborated with the commissioner when it comes to um, this investigation. Understand that there are probably a lot of worse owners that have come out and said a lot worse things about their own players and whatnot. I mean, think about the Houston Texans owner and what he said about black players on his team. Think about Dan Snyder and the the sex trafficking allegations that he, that he's had, and what he's done to his and to, that what he's done to his own cheerleaders. You know, there's a lot of NFL owners that have been accused of a lot more nefarious activities, 
And the fact that none of those owners have been mentioned alongside John Gruden, there's something going on. Something fishy is happening. And it's not uh, uh, John Gruden. I mean, yeah, it is John Gruden. But it's other players as well. It's other people as well. And I feel like the fact that they're not in trouble, I think this was uh, uh, I think this was an attempt to get John Gruden fired and they wanted some reason to get John Gruden fired and they picked a and they picked a, a albeit a good reason to fire him you know and they wanted him out for some reason I, I feel like because far worse and far 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 worse things have been said and done by players and by coaches in the league they wanted something to get John Gruden out of here so they decided to pick up a 10 year old email and he's out of here because of that Again, like I'm, th- I'm looking this. I'm looking through things in a very nuanced perspective here. I want to be like considerate of, you know, of the people involved. Obviously, you know, it stinks to see like Demora Smith get through this because again, like, you know, to be to be like called that, I think it's it's dumb. Uh, but and and very racist, by the way. Uh, but again, like understand that context matters and. You know, if we're going to go after John Gruden for 10-year-old emails, then we got to go after other people for 10-year-old tweets, you know, which I don't think is a good way of looking at society. I, I honestly don't. I think we need to let people mature, age, grow. Uh, I feel like he's changed a lot since 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, that's where I'll sort of leave it at that when it comes to uh, uh, the discussions when it comes to uh, John Gruden. But man, oh man, a lot of his... ESPN colleagues left him out to dry. I'm like, where's the love for this man? Like, I know like ESPN is a very sort of gung ho institution. It's a very sort of Disneyfied place where they got to say and toe the corporate line. They can't really have any personalities outside of it. I mean, we've seen people who have said certain things that were critical of teams get like hurt by ESPN and whatnot. Uh, I mean, Colin Coward is a person that uh, got fired even though he was going to leave ESPN. Uh, ESPN wanted to wanted Colin Coward to leave on their own terms. So it's one of those places where you got to toe the corporate line. You got to say the right things and do the right things on television for you to keep your job. It, it feels like a very sort. It feels like a place where where you could get fired at any moment. And I feel like a lot of players are saying and doing, or a lot of analysts are saying and doing the right things so that they can just keep their job. It's very apparent when I see individuals that are saying certain things just because they understand that they have a boss and then they need somebody to report to and that if they don't abide to the certain things that their boss tells them to say, then they get fired because of it uh, or because of their lack of saying what their boss wanted to say or wanted them to say. So, I mean, Keyshawn Johnson was a person that went extremely against John Gruden. It felt genuine, but I felt like there are certain players that sort of put on a show uh, to sort of toe the company line and whatnot, which I don't think is a good way of viewing these situations. But, you know, that's just my overall opinion on ESPN. Um, You know, I mean, listen, there are certain times where I watch ESPN and I'm like, man, this is really good product. This is a really good product. Um, You know, when I see... um, Tennis, when I see Chris Fowler and when I see, um, you know, when I see Chris Fowler and Chris Everett Lloyd, I think they do a great job, an impeccable job. Um, you know, I think the tennis channel, in my opinion, does a little bit better of a job, better of a job in terms of, uh, in terms of covering tennis, but, um, the NBC crew does a pretty good job as well. Um, but I, I do think the ESPN tennis crew does, does a good job at it. Um, NFL as well. I think the NFL, uh, countdown show in terms of having Randy Moss there and whatnot. I think they do a good job, but uh, there are certain times where I listen to it and I'm like, well, "What are you doing here? Like, what? I know you're only saying this because you want your bosses to like you and you want to keep your job." And I, I feel like that's a, a very bad way of looking at certain things, and it doesn't help anybody involved. So, um, yeah, that's just overall my opinion on all this. Um, I don't know what's to come for the Vegas Raiders. I mean, they're three and two. They were on a three-game win streak, and then they lost the last two. Um, 
And I don't know what's going to happen to John Gruden. I think he's going to get a job maybe at, at Fox Sports or whatnot. I think Fox Sports would be the better of the two places that he can go to. I don't think I, I think his time with ESPN is done. I, I do. I think he could go to Fox Sports or NBC Sports. I saw Tony Dungy and uh, Mike Tirico defend him, which I thought was good. I thought that was a good uh, thing that they did. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's 10 years ago. You know, I mean, you got to let people grow and develop and change. You know, there were certain things that I, people said 10 years ago that didn't age that well. You know, I mean, it's as simple as that, you know. Uh, again, were they racist? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It was, you should not call black people. You should not call black people's lips the size of Michelin tires. That's a little too much. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, I understand where, uh, again, I want to reiterate, I, there needs to be nuance to this scenario. I understand why people are going after John Gruden, uh, but I think asking the Raiders to fire him, that's a little too far. But on the, on the other hand, um, people saying that John Gruden did nothing wrong, I feel like that's a little too extreme. There needs to be some nuance to the scenarios, to the situation, and I feel like level-headed individuals like myself that sort of view this in that perspective, I think there are more there are more people in that boat than, say, of these two extreme ideologies. And I feel like ESPN definitely represents that one particular extreme to the fullest extent, which I don't think is a good thing for anybody. All right, uh, let's get into George Clooney. Okay, so George Clooney uh, says that Biden's approval ratings... Uh, is down because of Trump. So basically, Fox News, again, this is a little bit of a right-wing slant to it. Um, so just want to let you guys know about that. But the idea that there's this whole group of people that I think he's the champion of, which he certainly can't stand in real life, but he's going to play this out for a while, and we'll see where we go with it as a country. Uh, what, what did I just read? <laughs> what? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, no yeah, whatever. Uh Okay, let me just say it, because the Fox News article was trash. I don't know what they were going after. Maybe they were sort of hinting that he's a Hollywood, out-of-touch elitist that, you know, is saying things that is out-of-touch with uh, working-class people. Maybe they were going for that slant, um, which I kind of understand. Um, actually, I fully understand. Uh, but I, this is my opinion. So George Clooney basically said, or I'll just recap it. George Clooney said that Biden's approval ratings are down because of Donald Trump and that we need to give him the benefit of doubt and that we got to give him his just due and whatnot. And yes, there were certain things that he's done wrong in his presidency, but we got to at least stick it out with him and, and find ways to uh, sort of unite ourselves as a country based off the last four years and how divided we are. Overall, I agree with the sentiment, but I do disagree with him that on certain things, one, he like sort of um, says that Biden's approval ratings are down because of Trump. No, they're down because of two things, inflation, and some people may see the Afghanistan withdrawal, but I actually support the Afghanistan withdrawal, uh, inflation, and also vaccine mandates. Those are the two reasons as to why people don't like Joe Biden is because of the fact that he's in favor of having this social credit system that is akin to China with vaccine mandates. And yes, I'm against vaccine mandates. I think they are a crime against humanity. I don't think they should be happening. I think we should encourage people to get the vaccine. I got vaccinated, but I think the idea that we should treat unvaccinated people like social outcasts is just idiotic and stupid and illogical and we got to give people the benefit of the doubt and allow individuals to just be individuals and get their freedoms that they had in february of 2020 and to have vaccine mandates is something that is so out of the ordinary and it's it's nothing that we've ever done in america in america we value freedom we don't value the importance of showing something before we can gain entry to a supermarket Right? I mean, we can argue the semantics as to whether or not people should show their ID to an alcohol store or to a liquor store or to a club. For some people, they agree with it. I actually kind of agree. I think showing your ID to a liquor store is important. But showing your ID to go into Target, going to see your, your children at a ballet recital or to a soccer game, I, that's, that's just so dumb. I, I think... We should have at least a little bit of liberty within us to combat this. 
you know, and again, I don't want to make this too much about vaccine mandates and whatnot, but again, the vaccine mandates are so dumb. And I feel like anybody defending that, I'm not saying George Clooney is, maybe he is, I, I wouldn't be surprised. But to see anybody really support it, I think that's not good for anybody involved. And obviously, as I mentioned with the JP Morgan thing, um, inflation is real. And when you print money, it devalues the importance of the dollar. So I'm incredibly uh, scared of inflation because it just adds to the debt and the deficit. I know I sound like a boomer conservative, but I do feel like inflation does matter. Uh, maybe five, six months ago on this podcast, I said inflation doesn't matter. But now that I've rethought about it, I do think inflation holds a, holds a lot in a lot of people's minds. And the fact that the debt is just going up and up and up, and we're not doing anything to combat that. It, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm very scared of, of what's going to happen when we just print money and just hand it out to billionaires and, and to Wall Street execs through bills and proposals and policies that are similar to that of the CARES Act. So yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I'm just very um, scared of all that, you know, and inflation has certainly gone up under Joe Biden compared to Donald Trump. So I mean, those are certain reasons as to why people are mad at Joe Biden. You know, some people may say the crisis at the border. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't really value that, you know, like, I mean, Maybe on this podcast, I used to care about like immigration, maybe I, I, I used to, but now it's like, at the end of the day, like, yeah, it does think, you know, obviously, you know, hiking in low skilled workers from Mexico and whatnot and taking and, you know, again, like, I think people need to rethink immigration. I, I stand by that. I think. You know, this, this idea that, you know, all immigration is good. I don't think that's a I don't think that's a very good perspective to view it at. But to say that that all immigration is bad, I mean, I think similar to that with the John Gruden thing, there has to be some sort of level headedness when you view immigration. You know, I mean, immigration, there are certain times where billionaires will, you know, bring in immigrants uh, to flood the labor market and to and to sort of devalue salaries and, and to pay workers less and, and to tire them out and. There are times where they'll bring in low-skilled workers and, and sort of make them work 15, 20-hour shifts. And, and it's akin to that of, like, of, you know, being a, a, essentially a slave and being a, essentially a prisoner. You know, I mean, there are a lot of times where immigrants will work tirelessly for 100-hour hundred hour work weeks. And or and they'll, they'll never see their family. And it's, to me, like, that's similar to that of, like, say, like, be, uh, maybe this is a far-fetched comparison, but that of being in a prison. So it's one of those things where uh, I I understand where like people are coming from when it, when they when they're sort of in fr- in favor of the border wall. But I'm also understanding of those that uh, sort of see uh, immigration uh, for what it is as not necessarily a negative and not necessarily a positive, but just is what it is. Immigration is what it is. So that's sort of where I am. Like. There are certain good things about immigration, certain things that aren't good about immigration, but certainly not always a net positive, and it's always certainly not a net negative. I think we got to look look at it more rationally and with a more calm response to it. But anyways, why am I talking about immigration? Let's get back into Clooney. I think Clooney's only doing this because he wants to settle and mingle with the elite. He was asked to be at Obama's Martha's Vineyard party. That was maskless, by the way. I mean, it was maskless, so... And there were all over like 500, 600 people attending. So if you're going to crack down on schools for like, and have like children wear masks, then you got to be in favor of Obama's Martha's Vineyard party and them being masked and socially distanced as well. You can't crap on little kids and in schools, five, six year old kids who are still learning and still growing and still developing and enforce them to wear masks and be completely fine with the elites, you know, with their adrenochrome, just doing their own thing willy-nilly. So I, I think George Clooney, in my opinion, is only doing this to mingle with the elite. And honestly, like, I expect better of Clooney, you know, because Clooney is the man. You know, some people transcend politics, and Clooney is one of them. You know, when you see him 
you know, in Ocean's Eleven, in the Ocean's franchise, when you see him executive produce Argo, when you see him in those Nescafe ads, Nespresso ads, and, and being with Casamigos Tequila, it's like George Clooney should transcend politics. Like, I think there are certain people where they shouldn't even value politics. You know, I think Michael Jordan is one of them. Tom Brady is another. You know, some people just transcend politics. And George Clooney is one of those people that I think should not even value politics to begin with. You know, I think the the the, the important thing is just not valuing it at all. And, and understanding that voting is a fruitless endeavor that will never change anything. And I'll stick by that until the day I die. Like, I don't think voting will ever change anything at all at all like like i truly don't believe voting will ever change anything so anyways i gotta move forward with this uh but because i'll get too much of a i'll get too into it and it's not going to be good um but yeah that's just overall my opinion uh george clooney's uh sort of thing not that great uh i wish he didn't really talk about it i I wish actors didn't talk about politics unless they were really fully entrenched into that world because it just comes off so, so preachy and whatnot. And I, I don't think that this is good. I don't think what he did was good at all. Uh, it's his opinion. He has the right to make his opinion, but whatever. Uh, all right, let's get into the final topic of the day. Megan Fox's MGK GQ interview. So basically MGK and Megan Fox uh, were profiled by GQ. Um, they've been seeing each other dating each other for like the past year or so and the only reason why this caught my eye not only am i a fan of machine gun kelly i liked his last album tickets to my downfall i've seen him live he's a good performer uh, he does certain things cringy like this gq photo shoot thing uh, but um yes it was one of the weirdest things i've ever read on twitter i, I got certain highlights of it off of it on twitter uh where Megan Fox has very some has some very cringy lines where she says, I just remember this tall, blonde, ghostly creature, and I look up and I was like, You smell like weed. He looked down at me and he was like, I am weed. And then I swear to God he disappeared like a ninja in a smoke bomb. Uh, machine Meg, Megan Fox on first meeting with Machine Gun Kelly. Oh my god, this is it's so cringy. Like and then this is the cherry on top of it all. Um, body dysmorphia. I have a lot of just deep insecurities. MGK has his own demons too. He got post-traumatic stress disorder, which he charmingly accidentally calls postpartum depression before Fox corrects him from his difficult upbringing. So he confused post, he confused PTSD with that of postpartum depression. <laughs> you can't write this up. Um, those were certain highlights of it. Uh, she had some cringy lines on her, like her, on her IG caption. Like if remember, like when Elizabeth Holmes gave like, a, like gave some like remarks to her boyfriend Balaji, like, like in the text exchange, it was like that, but even worse. Like it was very sort of lovey doty, like sort of like thirteen year old fan fiction kind of love. And this is so cringy, man. Like this is so corny and cheesy and contrived it is so bad man like i like mgk i'm not gonna lie like i think he has a lot of good songs especially when he switched from rap to pop punk uh a lot of great songs under his belt he's certainly uh, a showman a star bleeper um he is a person that uh is very much values that of say um the importance of of being a, a rock star, I would say, and living that rock star lifestyle. Uh, but when he does certain things like this, especially with Megan Fox, I'm like, what's happening here? Like, like what's happening? Like, I, like it's just so, like, I don't know. I feel like they're doing so much to replicate that of Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton, but they're just missing the mark. It's like the JV version of Angelina Billy Bob. It's like... I don't know, it's like, you know, like, when your dad or mom asks you for chocolate or vanilla ice cream, and you pick a vanilla ice cream because it's easily the better, the best out of those two flavors, and then they get chocolate ice cream, and you're like, well, why did you bring chocolate ice cream? Chocolate ice cream stinks. 
unless it's with like brownies or like fudge or whatever or caramel why would you bring chocolate ice cream chocolate ice cream is the worst ice cream flavor this is chocolate ice cream right like this mgk megan fox gq thing is chocolate ice cream and, and it's one of those things where like it's just so hard for me to root for this like it's so hard for me to like like mgk because of this and i like mgk like i want to be honest with you i thought um rap devil was way better than that a kill shot you know i thought you know it, it's it, I, honestly i liked uh tickets to my downfall i can't wait for borns with horns you know i like paper cuts even though it sounded like pixies where is my mind uh you know mgk is a very good you know entertainer and he certainly knows how to entertain people um there's just certain things where i just look and, and i'm like what is happening here uh what are we doing and this is one of those things where i'm like man oh man like you got we gotta be like like again like megan fox is in her 30s like she should not be acting like this at all like at all like what are you doing here uh i i, I get it because you know she didn't live out her uh rebellious phase i would say you know i mean she was with like brian austin green the fact that i know all this just proves that i am gay uh but she was with brian austin green and like um you know she was with him and whatnot and uh she wasn't able to do certain things and say certain stuff because of her marriage with him and uh, that definitely sheltered her from being who she who she truly wanted to be and whatnot and i feel like this is just her phase to get back at him and, and yeah, I feel like there's a lot of sort of, you know, chess moves being made by the two of them. I, I wouldn't even call it chess moves. I would just call it checker moves, honestly. Because, uh, yeah, this is weird. Um, but again, Megan Fox is making a career comeback. Uh, she had a movie, I think, with MGK that they both skipped out of because I hear the movie was pretty bad. Uh, so who knows? You know, again... It's Halloween time. Jennifer's body is coming out. I mean, Jennifer's body is on Criterion. Maybe she wants to sell Jennifer's body DVDs. I wouldn't mind her. Jennifer's body is a is a great movie. It's a honestly, it's up there. It's it's a great movie. It's a, it's a great movie, and I recommend it for anybody for any of you. Uh, if you have daughters, like I think it's per, it's a perfect movie for daughters. For any parent that's listening to it, I think it's a perfect movie for daughters. Depending on the age, I wouldn't recommend it for like a five-year-old or a six-year-old. But if you're like a 10-year-old or 11-year-old, yeah, this is a good movie for daughters. So yeah, Uh, that's just my overall opinion on the Megan Fox MGK thing. And um, yeah, hopefully they don't get any more cringy than that. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for watching. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. That'll be the end of my podcast. Make sure you guys like, like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. If you are listening to my podcast channel, make sure you subscribe to my podcast clips channel as well as my podcast channel. Make sure you rate, review, and and subscribe on iTunes. I think that would be great if you guys did that as well as spreading the word on WhatsApp as well. So I'll be talking about the Indian Wells final on Sunday. I'm a man of my word. I will be recapping it all. And I will be talking about the quarterfinals, the semifinals uh, that will be transpiring uh over the weekend on tuesday maybe not so much the quarterfinals but maybe a little bit of the semifinals matches and obviously the finals matches as well uh in terms of the wta side as well so guys thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening make sure uh, make sure you avoid the bookings and have a safe and happy weekend all right guys enjoy your weekend peace see y'all